0: for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion.
1: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor.
2: Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. And, of course, I want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. For the second hour of today's show, our sponsors are American Manganese, Avino Silver and Gold Mines, Prophecy Platinum, and Millrock Resources. Uh, this is the uh, third or fourth time, I don't know, I think maybe the fourth time we've had Dr. John Coleman uh, with us. He, he was here to talk about two excellent books that he's written, namely the Tavistock Institute, which is about how the ruling monarchs of Europe are very much influencing our lives and how they have uh, propagandized uh, us into uh engaging in endless wars for the sake of the rich and the powerful people and the corporate interests behind the throne and he's written about uh, another book called the committee of 300 which talks about the royalty uh and those really uh, wealthy people that surround the royalty and and again the core of the ruling elite that sort of are, are trying to plan our our futures for us and and take away i think more more importantly in many ways taking away the sovereignty of nations and we were just talking uh, to james otto a little bit about how the united states government the labor department is refusing to uh to to enforce the laws that are on the books because they are paid off by the corporate interest and these are the same interest i would i would uh, venture to say that are attached either directly or indirectly to the committee of 300 uh, that um, that dr coleman talks about um So I'm really glad to have you back with me, Dr. Coleman. I'm not going to read your bio again because people have listened to this show before, have read it, and I would remind our listeners that that bio is available at the Voice America website. Uh, Maybe I should, though, though just tell for the sake of those that are not familiar with John that he uh, is an author, as I just said. He's written those books. Uh, He's written another book we want to talk about today, which is The Banishing Middle Class, Uh, but he is a constitutional scholar and an analyst of world affairs, and he speaks five foreign languages and was stationed in 14 different countries around the world. Uh, And uh, so he brings with him a wealth of experience and a wealth of knowledge. Welcome again, John, to our times and the good times. Thank you. Really good to have you, and I wanted to have you on today after we um, we talked to our last guest because I thought... Uh, especially if we talk about the vanishing middle class, which is what we want to talk, you and I have agreed to talk about today, because it seems to me that the labor markets, um, you know, whilst I am a free market guy and, and would generally not like to see laws passed that restrict either the hiring or firing of individuals, I'd rather see it in the hands of, of, of companies and, and individuals. When governments get involved, they seem to, if anything, sort of sort of reduce uh, the freedom to to hire and fire people. Would you agree? I do agree
3: with you entirely on that. And, of course, we also know that many of the laws that are passed in this regard are completely unconstitutional. They not they have no bearing on the, no validity whatsoever when you compare them with what the Constitution stands for mm-hmm. and which is the highest law of the land. Mm-hmm. People cannot simply write their own laws they have to go by what's in the, in the Constitution. Yes. And it's not already there, or not in conscience with the with power pursuant to one that's in the Constitution, then in the language of the Constitution, it falls to the ground and that power cannot be taken. In other mm-hmm. words, it's then uh, impossible at that time or any other time to have
2: this law passed.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, you know, John, we have, we've had labor laws passed in which, uh, you know, in which people are forced uh, to use uh, labor unions and so forth, would those be constitutional laws? No, absolutely not constitutional. So then you had a labor department that enforced those laws that uh, were supposedly in favor of the people, the American workers, and now that same labor department is looking the other way and refusing to enforce those laws that are on the books. I mean, what kind of sense does that make? You have a government that is there supposedly to try to help the people and now they've turned their back on the American people, and they're looking to the corporate handouts, I guess right
3: yes they are, but I'd like to point out to your listeners that the labor Department is not a, is not a, is not one that can be constitutionally upheld because when the the constitution was written and when it was later uh completely accepted by the states, they gave a certain number of powers to the president, and he could not appoint boards or any companies whatsoever or departments of his cabinet except those that were already, as I said, in consonance with powers already in the constitution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to say there is such a thing as a labor department is very, very iffy.
2: Mm-hmm. So what you're saying in essence is the Labor Department itself is unconstitutional. I'm saying that, yes. Yes, and I think the only, the only man on the political scene nationally that would, that would really be in a hurry to agree with you on that would be Ron Paul. That's, he's the only
3: one, and of course, he's being, uh, Ron Paul is being completely played down, he's being, uh, ignored by the, the media, the print media, electronic media, and Ron Paul is an excellent candidate but to hear the media talk, and talk about him, he's absolutely a flop and a failure. Of course, the unfortunate thing about Ron Paul, he's a bit too old to be the president at 76. He's 26 years older than Ronald Reagan was mm-hmm. when he came into office. So mm-hmm. that is a downside. And I don't know if you can over- overcome that difficulty. It seems to me it would be very, very difficult for that to happen.
2: Well John you're probably right but I also think though that the uh, the desire for liberty and freedom runs deep and that that Ron has done an excellent job of igniting that in many of the youth of this country and there is a young congressman a freshman congressman that I'm hoping to get on the show from Michigan uh sometime in the near future I've talked to his people and uh he comes as close as anybody there is probably perhaps even closer than and Ron's son uh, in, in terms of mirroring the views of, of uh, Dr. Paul, which I would say quickly, and I think you would agree, are the views of our founding fathers, not, not There's Ron no Paul. question about that. He's a very fine constitutional
3: scholar, and uh, I was hoping that he might pass the baton on to his son, mm-hmm. and who knows, these things can happen, but of course you have vested interests that would be working against him as well. Big time the people that you mentioned in your earlier remarks, the organizations and uh, the Wall Street people and all their uh, tag-along followers, powerful and uh, very much of course, unlimited funds available to them.
4: Mm-hmm. So
3: it would be an
2: uphill battle. But yes, Indeed, it would be an uphill battle. Other I, others about others that. I know that uh, was interesting and, and just an interesting aside. I was in the celebration, uh, the swearing in celebration for this Congress, uh, in January of last year. And, uh, in that room was Rand Paul along with Ron Paul. And I had met up with Rand for the first time and I mentioned to him, I said, um your legacy will be whether you can be as pure as your father. And, uh, he sort of laughed about that. And I told Ron that and, and Ron just laughed. And he says, yeah, I, I imagine my son didn't want to really hear that. But, but all, all jokes aside, I think that Rand definitely, uh, you, you know, is a constitutionalist as well. It's only that, you know, he's a senator, which is uh, b- brings with it larger responsibility probably and probably more powers, probably more influence peddling uh, at his level than, than at Ron's level and as uh, as one of uh, the congressmen. Well, I want to get into your book today, The Vanishing Middle Class. Uh, and I just thought that this whole issue of labor and the abuse of, uh, of of labor and the refusal of the labor department to enforce the very laws that at one time enforced and actually helped to implement is is very interesting. But it seems to be consistent with what's going on with your bigger theme that we've talked about in previous shows uh, the the vanishing middle class. We've touched on it. It is a, uh, I think it is a repercussion of what is going on the rich powerful banking interests that have gotten control of the monetary system essentially and in, have used that to redistribute wealth uh from i have argued the people that really create it the miners the manufacturers the inventors and the farmers to uh to to the to the banking interest and the and the court and the government interest because government is taking a bigger and bigger share of the uh, of the GDP do you agree with that that the, that the monetary issue, the fiat money is a way of reallocating wealth from the common folks from the middle class to the to the rich and the powerful?
3: Well, of course it is. it's what I call one of the methods of uh, transferring power. therefore we are a transfer society. The wealth is transferred from those who have been producing it, and that is basically the middle class to those who have not earned it to the Wall Street. I call them banksters and their friends who are today virtually running the show. Mm-hmm. And of course the middle class needs to be defined. America was most fortunate in having a viable middle class. A, a group of people or class of people that were producing goods and then have a, well, were paid enough money for them to afford to buy the goods that they had produced. Mm-hmm. And they could consume those goods and live a decent life, have enough money to buy decent homes and educate their children. But today we find that the middle class has largely been destroyed by design, I might say. Mm -hmm. And today we have that unfortunate situation where all of the jobs were exported abroad and where the uh, manufacturers didn't want to pay a decent wage to the people who are earning the money. And, of course, that's changed now. That swung back the other way. The pendulum is now working the other way, and those jobs are coming back to the United States. Mm-hmm. We've seen that in the car industry, a resurgence of the auto industry in Detroit, which was a burnt-out, blasted city that looked like something from the moonscape. Mm-hmm. But now we find that there's people, people are returning to Detroit, and uh, there's a very good slogan General Motors have adopted about one of their cars. They said, imported from Detroit. <laughs> I think it's very, very catchy, and if it describes what is happening. The middle class is slowly being reconstituted, and America, as I said, was fortunate to have such a society. And of course, that was became the main target for the new world order. As long as people were living a contented life, as long as they were equalized, not equalized, as long as you had that class, then of course the new world order could not make. Any progress at all hmm so they had to be the middle class had to be removed
2: hmm so the middle class was a threat to the one world order and I'm not sure if I understand that exactly what what you're saying now is that the jobs are coming back why because the labor cost of because the middle class has been destroyed to such an extent that that you've got people that are willing to work for for very low wages they work
3: if they're working for less money than they earned before, yes, but there's still enough money for them now to put aside and buy a house one day or to educate their children and as i said the the marvelous rebirth of Detroit is is something that's uh the beacon on the hill
2: well it, it so i'm not sure if you, if you believe this is a hopeful sign or not I think it's very hopeful mm-hmm. Another hopeful sign, one that I've come in contact with that I've really become aware of recently has been the, uh, the discovery of shale oil and gas too would seem to be very helpful. Any thoughts on that? I'm sorry, there's the discovery of shale oil? Shale oil and, yeah, and, and shale gas to an extent.
3: Yes, I think that's a good sign indeed and you know, there's, there are so many oil deposits and gas deposits in this country that could be worked, that had to close down because the United States all of a sudden had to import all of its oil from Saudi Arabia, oil which, if we developed our own resources and used the middle class to do that, we would not need to import it to have imported these high-priced foreign oils.
2: Yeah. So well, that's...
3: that's Another thing that's turning around, I'm very happy to say,
2: yeah so there there are maybe some helpful signs at the same time with the labor law with the labor prices uh going down and and you know um there are at least to an extent the markets still do work the to the extent that they're allowed to work so i I want to talk a little bit then if we can get into your book um this uh the, the smaller book that you can buy, and I should mention to people again or ask you to mention, John, because I'm not sure if I have it right in front of me, the website where people can go to to uh, pick up your previous books as well as the vanishing middle class.
3: The website is Coleman at 300.com. That is Coleman, my name, at 300, that's the figures 300, dot com. And it, or if uh, you wish actual... to call us, you can use our toll-free line, which is answered every day, including weekends, from 9 to 5, and we'll gladly take the details of your order and uh, process it for you. And that number is 1-800-942-0821. And thank you for allowing me to
2: put that little sales pitch in there. Oh, absolutely, John. I, I, uh, you know, I've got uh, three of your books here and they are very much worth reading. I think that, that you do a very good job of uh, explaining your views and, and I must admit that I am mostly in agreement with uh, what I've read so far. But uh, what, but let's amazing, what has made my books uh, sell is that I've used very plain
3: English, not pedantic English, uh not using the words like intersection which I mean a crossing.
5: No and that's that, true. That's
3: what I call pedantic English. And uh that's kept the books very simple and
2: easy for everybody to read. They they are they are a very easy read and they're a very uh very interesting read I must say. So in the the book The man, The Vanishing Middle Class, um in, uh, in chapter one of the book, you talk about the problem of a graduated income tax. And in, now in theory, you know, this is the theory that we are given, is a graduated income tax should be egalitarian. That is, it should, it should take, take the tax load, uh, from the rich and lessen the tax load from the middle class and the lower classes. But you don't agree with that. You don't believe that's
3: the way it's worked out.
2: Could you explain?
3: No, because originally I'm a doctor and adopted from the writings of Karl Marx and he certainly didn't want to do that he wanted the reverse to be the case that the rich should be soaked completely
4: mm-hmm.
2: and and so why is the graduated income tax not a good not a good thing
3: well i think that what i'm not an authority on this on taxation but i mm-hmm. think that as far as the current system is concerned it it pays too much attention to taxing those producers who today are doing more than they share. And that's that's what caused many of these companies to ship their factories and everything else out of the country. To start Jobs, with. and yeah. And I think that was wrong, and I think it it's, it's, it's,
2: should be borne more or less evenly by everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. I think I heard or read the other day that General Electric paid something like 5-point-something percent uh, of their income in taxes last year. And I know that Mrs. Taylor and I, who live in New York City, paid a great deal more than that. So it it does uh, – and that's a graduated income tax. Now, to what extent, to the rich and the powerful people uh who are sitting atop those corporations also have a way of – uh of avoiding taxation, and I'm not against avoiding taxation. I'm really in favor of limited government, so I'd like to see limited, if any, taxes at all. I mean, there are people that I know who manage to live outside of the United States long enough uh, each year, and they live in different countries long enough each year to avoid paying taxes, and I'm not at all against that. I mean, if uh, if I could do it, I probably would do it as well. But uh, the point is that uh, we do have this so-called graduated income tax, what about a flat tax? If you're going to have a tax at all, so would a you're going flat to have tax, a tax be more just? Flat tax is
3: obviously the best solution to the problem. Mm-hmm. But, you know, our founding fathers were against taxing the people altogether. Sure. And that's, that's also something one must look at. If you are following the highest law of the land, the Constitution, then these measures need to be very carefully examined in the light of the highest law of the land. mm
2: mm-hmm. Well, we've got a taxation uh, without representation, I would argue, which is why the Tea Party was formed, the original one. And uh, in talking to James Otto, it seemed to me, and I suggested, and he didn't disagree. In fact, he agreed that, in fact, we're back at the same point, where we have taxation without representation again. Would you agree with that?
3: I do agree with that. I agree with that wholeheartedly.
2: And so the, the notion is that government has the guns, they have the firepower, they have the laws, and you know, is it is it wrong to see government almost as a criminal element that can use force to take our our private property from us?
3: Well, this is the thing: the founding fathers didn't want the United States ever to have a standing army. Mm-hmm. They said that should never have a standing army, and money should never be appropriated to keep that standing army going. So, what we had, according to the, the wishes of the convention. Was that we had the National Guard, which would be called out if there was problems in the United States, mm-hmm. in the States. They were then to be called out and to help the people. Mm-hmm. And if there was an insurrection or a rising against the government, then it was the duty of the National Guard to put that down
4: mm-hmm. and to
3: uphold the laws. Mm-hmm. But you find now, where is the National Guard? It's fighting in Iraq and, or was in Iraq now, it's in all, all in Iran. Mm-hmm. And there's nobody to help the people. You look at these awful tornadoes and, uh, Hurricane. things that have devastated parts of the United States.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Where's the National Guard? Mm-hmm. In times like that, they're supposed to go in there and help the people. Mm-hmm. That's, their, that's their duty in, in, where there's no state of war existing in
4: mm-hmm. that,
3: in that area. Yeah. And that's what they should be, have be done. Instead yeah. of that, the poor people are left to themselves to struggle along and try and lift these heavy beams and things that have fallen down. And rescue people who might still be alive. It's a national disgrace.
2: Mm-hmm. What uh, to what extent um, you, you talk a lot and you're concerned a lot, as am I, about a one-world government. To what extent do you think we are on our way to a one-world government at this point in time? We
3: are on our way towards a national, go- towards a one-world government. The country that put the put a roadblock in the way to that actually was the, the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Stalin said he's not going to be beholden to any of the Wall Street uh, cabal, as he called it. And he said the, the great country like uh, the Soviet Union would not be beholden to anybody from Wall Street giving them orders and telling them what to do. Mm-hmm. So that was a big roadblock. And then, of course, currently Russia stands now with the new man coming in as ex- in exactly the same position. hmm we've seen already at the United Nations, they've voted against these resolutions concerning Syria and other measures. And China they voted also with that. Mm-hmm. So we can see that there has been a continuation of the roadblock put up by Stalin and his followers. And now will be continued by President Putin.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this leads to a very interesting question in my mind: is to what extent uh, will those interest in China and India, and well, India, you didn't mention India. What what are your thoughts about India? To what extent will those major countries, those major powers, stand against a uh, Anglo-American um, one-world government? They standing firmly, uh, standing firmly against, especially
3: India. You know, India is an enormous country, not only in size, but has a huge population, mm-hmm. and today it's, it's completely modernized. It's no longer the India of the old days of people pulling others around the streets as rickshaws. Mm-hmm. It's Today it's a very modern society, a cultural society, and uh, my son who's an airline captain was recently in China, mm-hmm. and he said that... Uh, he was totally amazed at the courtesy, the cleanliness of the place. He said, America has a lot to learn. He said, you drive down the main streets in the, of the United States, and you find garbage and discarded bottles and cans. He said, it doesn't exist in China. And, in uh, India? And we're still struggling with old antiquated railroad systems, and they have these speeding, high-speed trains between the cities that whisky away, and, and total comfort in soundness, beautifully made Cobb, and, uh, you're fed and pampered on the way and, uh, you get your destination feeling fresh and ready to go. And he said their capacity to do business is utterly enormous.
2: Well, I'm, I'm wondering to what, so, so you're pretty, pretty strongly, uh, hold, the, uh, strongly hold the view that India, China and Russia will stand up against an Anglo-American one world government.
3: I don't have the slightest doubt about that.
2: And do you think that there could be some major conflicts between that alliance and and an Anglo-American empire? That
3: is very, very possible.
2: You have to watch where the world is going these days, and in our hemisphere, of course, you have uh, the likes of Venezuela, I suppose Bolivia, a couple of those countries sort of try to align themselves with with the Irans of this world, Syria, and so forth. Um, so it's it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. What is, what are your thoughts? You know, we we talk about labor laws. You're suggesting that in fact the labor department um, was unconstitutional. So laws to begin with. Uh, let's go back to the Constitution. Then, what would it say about immigrant labors le, le, Immigrant labor. Um, would there be any? I mean, would there be laws that would prohibit people from coming in and working in the United States if we rolled the clock back to the Founding Fathers? Oh, definitely. First of all, they it
3: was the unwritten, unwritten law that the people were supposed to come only from uh, the European Anglo-Saxon Nordic Alpine
4: people. Mm-hmm.
3: And uh, immigrants from other countries were barred. They were, they were simply not allowed to come. Mm-hmm. Now, that may sound like today... Uh, it's not a popular point of view. Uh, people will say, well, they were certainly racist, which is a silly term. What they mean is racialists. There's no such thing as a racist. The word didn't exist up to about uh, 10 years ago. And, of course, it's, it's grammatically silly. There isn't any such thing as a racist. racist. It's racialism or racism. It's so... Uh, that's the definition. It may sound like just splitting hairs, but actually it isn't. Anyway, yeah. the fact is that they didn't want anybody except people from those countries to come. Mm-hmm. And then there was pressure on the, uh, on the on the on the government to change the laws. There was pressure on uh, the legislators to change the laws, and unfortunately, in many instances, they were successful at these pressures. And uh one by one, immigrants were allowed to come from different nations until we've become virtually a uh, I don't know how to press or how to say melting the people so I better not say it. We've become a, a a nation, not one nation under God, but many, many nations under many gods.
4: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
3: because the Hindus don't have one god, they have 56 or fifty-eight gods. yeah and of course, the Muslims are another and uh so on down the line so yeah.
2: we well, all, I, it's we an, all. an interesting topic unfortunately we are out of time already John uh, oh. I'm sorry to say uh we we barely scratched the surface of your book but I would remind people this is a, a as all of John's books are a very easy read it's the vanishing middle class and it's uh, it's just full of great information uh and uh, again uh, that telephone number you can call is 800 Nine four two zero eight two one. I think I have that right, John. Right? Yes. And you can call uh, to order John's books or go to the website. Give that to us once more, John.
3: The website is Coleman at Coleman three hundred dot com. Very good. I'm sorry, well, that's thanks. not the website. It's just a. Uh, it's, uh, it's Coleman. And as you can see, our website, it's under my name and also under uh, our our trademark. Of Sapphire, and you can find that there. It's very easy, actually. Okay. And uh, as I said, you can also
2: email us at any time. Very good, John. Well, thank you very much again for coming on the show. We'll, we'll have you back again sometime in the not too distant future, I'm sure of that. Well, thank Don't go you away. We're going to be right back with Roger Wiegand. Uh, he's going to be with me to talk about the markets and, the, and some other issues to do perhaps with the european uh, situation right now the european market so don't go away we'll be right back
3: okay thanks jay, thanks, jay.
2: bye thank you
0: voice america business network the bottom line in business American Bonanza Gold's Copperstone Project, located in Arizona, is on track for a fourth quarter 2011 mine and startup process with the goal of achieving full production by the end of the year 2011. American Bonanza is fully funded and permitted with no debit or hedge. The company has a clear strategy to create a highly profitable, mid-tier gold producing company beginning in fourth quarter 2011. Join the current gold bull market. Be a part of a new gold producer in 2011. American Bonanza Gold Corp. Visit the website at American. Bonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 13.8 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred go to www.AmericanManganeseInc.com.
6: www.rypatchgold.com.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that exploration for mineral deposits is risky business, though the rewards for shareholders can be enormous. At Mill Rock Resources, we don't believe in risking your investment on a treasure hunt. We believe in leveraging shareholder capital to generate projects and partnering with mining giants such as Kinross, Ballet, Inmet, and Tech to fund our exploration in the mining-friendly states of Alaska and Arizona. By utilizing this business model, Millrock Rock Resources increases the potential of finding economic gold and copper deposits and maximizing shareholder wealth. For more information, please visit us at www.millrockresources.com or find us on the TSX Venture under MRO. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
2: Welcome back uh, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm really pleased to have with me again Roger Wiegand, uh, one of my two partners. Roger publishes an excellent newsletter uh, called Trader Tracks. Trader Tracks because he tracks the uh, market from a technical point of view, and he provides a lot of really interesting material every week. Um, a lot of pictures, a lot of charts, a lot of uh, you know, it's a lot of just fun reading uh, for uh, for his subscribers. So welcome back, Roger.
5: Good to be here, Jay.
2: Now I want to ask you, uh, we're looking at a market today that's turned around somewhat negative. The Dow is down about 44 points, S&P down about 4, NASDAQ down 2. Uh, your, your view, let's say between here and May and go away, what are you seeing in the equity markets? You seeing a lot of strength up until that point in time?
5: I see strength all the way through until May. We're going to have the normal corrections and adjustments in between. But uh, the NASDAQ, being a leader, as we were discussing previously, uh, is a very good indicator for all the stock indexes. Now, the last quote on the June NASDAQ 100 futures a few minutes ago on television was uh, four points. Uh, The other stocks are off a little bit. Uh, The Dow Jones is down um, 70 points in after hours right now on the June. Actually, that's futures. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the NASDAQ is is flat to up. Oil is flat to up today. Uh, Early on this today, we had uh, higher prices in gold and silver. They did come back. Also, the related currencies like the Swiss franc and the Canadian dollar, which do follow commodities. when commodities are up, they also are up. Uh, Nothing real special uh, was either bought and sold today in great quantity. It's kind of a flat wave four in gold which is just a pausing there's not a lot of volume but I think we're going to be headed for higher prices in stocks uh through April and on into May before the sell and make go away event and I think the NASDAQ is going to lead the parade and uh, I found it very interesting today uh, David Rosenberg who used to be the uh, senior economist for Merrill Lynch spoke on TV a few minutes ago and indicated that he's looking for 3000 gold as a peak uh, he didn't give a time on that, but I found that interesting because in the year 2005, I came up with the, uh, the price of $2,960. Mm-hmm. So I, I was pretty happy to see that. It gives me some credence, some of the things that we're looking at. That's for the longer view, of course. Uh, also, we're looking at uh, a lot of uh, commodity trading that's picked up, uh, the grains, uh, not only the precious metals, but some of the base metals as well. Uh, people were concerned here a few days ago that copper uh being one of the leaders uh in selling to China had come off a little bit. It did, but it came back to that three dollars and eighty six, three eighty five support on the May Future. So that's it's everything seems to be in a holding action.
2: But we're not selling dramatically. Mhm. All right. So we're hearing a lot of things, uh Doctor A. Gary Schilling was on today talking about uh the Massive amount of stockpiling of copper, uh, by China. Uh, also we we're reading in the Financial Times about a lot of oil price, a lot of oil being stockpiled by various countries who are concerned about a conflict with Iran. Uh, so, you know, to what extent do you think a lot of, a lot of this is just hoarding? There's also countries that are concerned about the demolition of the dollar and, and Bernanke's endless printing of dollars that are, uh, you, you know, certainly increasing the units of measure, so making each dollar worth less over time, so you have a flight to stuff away from commodities. Um, so where do you see, let's, let's talk about oil first of all. Let's say a short-term sort of resistance and longer-term, where do you see oil prices heading?
5: We're in a trading range on oil right now between 104 and 108 uh, Oil is going to go higher in our view not only on inflation but other factors uh... one of the things that i noticed which is very interesting is uh... the u.s. government's putting the squeeze on iran over this nuclear argument and uh... the same thing happened to japan in world war two they being so isolated when their oil was cut off they had to turn around and get into a fight with the u.s. and you've got to wonder is that really the intent here with iran are we precipitating a fight because we're cutting off their imported gasoline. Iran has no refineries. They cannot uh, refine their own gasoline. All the gasoline that comes into Iran comes in on ships. So they they import gasoline, they export crude oil, and it kind of goes around in a circle. Mm -hmm. But they're having more problems in addition, Jay, with what uh, Jim Sinclair called today the SWIFT bank interbank transfer system. And that money is a way that's transporting... Uh, through wires, bank to bank on a consistent basis, mm-hmm. and as it stands right now, as I understand it from Mr. Sinclair's report today, uh, the U.S. has cut off Iran from using that system.
2: Yes, that's correct. And uh, Ian Macovit talked about this last week on this show. They were planning to do that, and so it sort of leaves Iran uh, in a situation where the countries that are that are um, that are dependent on Iranian oil are going to have to probably use gold or some other barter instrument in order to get that oil, but what you're saying is that we are also cutting off Iran's supply of gasoline, if I understood what you were saying a moment ago.
5: That's correct, and it was subsidized by the government a few years ago, but what's happened now, they couldn't afford the subsidy and the gasoline prices in Iran have gone a lot higher. And considering now that they've got import gasoline problems, they probably have a shortage and everybody's getting upset. To address your, your concern about what China's doing in stockpiling Oil and copper, I think part of that has to do with inflation, Jay. I think they don't want to pay more money for it later. Also, that goes along with what you were just saying, that when there are disturbances in these markets, it takes so long to crank them up again, they don't want to be on the short end of the stick as far as supplies. Mm -hmm. Because crude oil is, is incredibly important for China with the huge economy that they're running, and of course copper is as well.
2: All right. Let's take a look at uh, what do you see uh, if we've got strength in the equity markets until May. What do you see for the Dow, the S and P, and Nasdaq? What sort of upper levels do you do you see us reaching? I think we
5: can see probably uh, within those particular indexes. We can look at um, uh, probably fourteen fifty, maybe even fifteen hundred on the S and P. We're at fourteen oh six right now. Uh, The Dow is thirteen one ninety six. I would say we could at least get to thirteen and a half before selling would start, and we may talk. Maybe we may go to fourteen thousand. Mm-hmm. Also, um, the CRB index, the CCI index for April right now is at five eighty. It's up a few ticks today. Uh, the CRB index uh, being a basket of commodities, including oil, which is about half of it, and I think that one's going to go to six hundred, maybe six hundred and fifty. Mm-hmm. Uh, inflation is here there's no question about it they're trying to deny it but it's
2: increasing and it's moving faster well we're certainly seeing it in gasoline prices for and, and food prices for average people the middle classes we've been talking about on this show today throughout with both of our main guests the squeezing of the middle class is a very 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 big reality and uh, you know and the wealthier getting wealthier and average people are having a, a more of a struggle um, what what so what are you seeing then long term Roger after May what do you see in the equity markets?
5: That longer term we're more concerned generally we usually buy positions in our future spreads for the fall uh, normally in May and June this year I don't think I'm going to do it last year I had a question mark as to whether I should do it uh, my tummy was telling me that uh, I shouldn't and I went ahead and did it and we last year we were up 300%, and I finished my account at around 22% plus, so I gave the majority of it back. We think something similar, Jay, could happen this year. So after the sell in May comes, and I still contend that's going to be a mild sell, not a smash, you know, it may come down 7 to 10% on stocks. Then we have our usual chopped-up summer, choppy-chop trading, and then near the end of August, uh, some of the traders begin to take positions for the fall. Uh, September and October, I'm extremely wary of. We've got an election on November 6th. I think there's a lot of uh, uh, contention and disagreement among the, the politicians. There always is, but I think it's more contentious this year than ever. And uh, some of the things they do when they misbehave in politics can certainly affect these markets, as you know. Uh, the banks claim that they're okay, but the reality is uh, Mr. Dudley, a Federal Reserve man from Dallas, is saying now that everybody better be careful or we're really going to get nailed in Europe. And Bernanke this week, uh, in a newspaper in London, uh, in the Telegraph, was, made a lot of warnings saying that uh, uh, if, in fact, they don't clean up those banks over there, we're going to have a big problem. Mm-hmm. We've been saying that right along, too, because New York banks are heavily loaned out to corporates and sovereign investments uh, in in the European central bank, yeah. to the extent that most of the probably the extent of all their capital from those banks in New York or the equivalent thereof has been loaned out their base capital
2: yeah so they, at risk. they've There's done no this
5: question about it
2: right what they 've done this time is put the money directly to the European central bank rather than lend to individual banks because they they got caught doing that when Bloomberg, uh, forced them to reveal who they were lending to and that was a bit embarrassing. So they're calling them swaps and not loans this time to try to get around that, that notion as well. So I guess it just depends on what the meaning of the word is is, right? So. That's correct. Uh, you've got to, you've uh, got to Roger, let's ask, I'm going to ask you about gold and silver. We had Ian McAvity on the show last week. Uh, and uh, another uh, fund manager was with us. Uh, the more bearish of the two thought that gold could go to 1,200 on the downside. Ian was talking about 1,550 as sort of a bottom level. What do you see? That, let's say that we there's a sell in May go away. Do you see gold? How do you see gold behaving if the equity markets decline in that in that time frame after May?
5: I think it could sell off a little bit, but not much. I, I think I agree totally with Ian. My my 1,550 is my low. Uh, I don't think it will go there. I think probably 1650 could be the low. And then in the fall, depending upon numerous things we can't really uh, figure out at this point, uh, gold could go wildly successful in the fourth quarter of this year, uh, depending on so many factors that are extraneous, things we don't know about, uh, kinds of trades that people have in place. Uh, Two of the big banks or one of the big banks in New York has a massive gold position on spreads, Between 1900 and 2300, uh, and that contract is August, so it's got to get paid by July. That's not that far away. Mm -hmm. And between 19 and 23, they put up $25 million. Mm -hmm. Then they came back and they bought more. They bought $5 million more between 2300 and 2600. So they believe, obviously, that gold is going to go long. Those are big traders with big money. They put up $30 million.
2: Mm hmm. Well, it remains to be seen, but certainly the fuel is there for much higher gold prices, much higher silver prices, much higher oil prices. Roger, we have uh, less than a minute left. Can you tell us a a little bit, you're noticing among some of the small cap uh, gold and silver exploration companies, you know, these are companies that the gold price went up and the the shares have not done well. What are you seeing in the uh, HUI and some of the other indexes? What are you looking at in terms of the share prices for some of these uh, gold explorers and producers?
5: I think some of the better group, you know, we, we always have, uh, several recommendations, both you and I in our newsletter. Uh, within those, the top tier group, I think can expect a pretty good, uh, sensible rebound this spring. The XAU chart right now, which is in our letter for Trader Tracks this week, has a recent double bottom, excuse me, triple bottom,
4: mm-hmm.
5: which portends a lot of support.
4: Mm-hmm. But
5: that says to me that these junior stocks, and these gold and silver stocks are going to turn around and go higher. Uh, gold itself uh, hit, did come back up. We're looking at at least uh, 1750 this spring. I would sure like to see 1850 but I don't know if we can get there. Mm-hmm. The U.S. dollar is generally cooperating because it's flat right at 80 and also the euro, which is the inverse of the dollar, is stuck at 133 right now. So those two currencies are kind of sideways for the time being, not really pushing around some of the other markets like they can do. Mm
2: -hmm. All right. Well, that's all the time we've got, Roger. Unfortunately, that's uh, that'll do it. Thank you for the rundown and your uh, view from a technical perspective and uh, also the insights you bring with respect to uh, what's going on in Europe and elsewhere. Folks, that's, uh, as I say, all the time we've got. I'll be right back with some final thoughts on today's show and next week's guest. So don't go away. I'll be right back.
0: American Bonanza Gold's Copperstone Project, located in Arizona, is on track for a fourth quarter 2011 mine and startup process, with the goal of achieving full production by the end of the year 2011. American Bonanza is fully funded and permitted with no debit or hedge. The company has a clear strategy to create a highly profitable, mid-tier gold producing company, beginning in fourth quarter 2011. Join the current gold bull market. Be a part of a new gold producer in 2011. American Bonanza Gold Corp. Visit the website at American. Bonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 13.8 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com.
6: w
0: Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that exploration for mineral deposits is risky business, though the rewards for shareholders can be enormous. At Millrock Resources, we don't believe in risking your investment on a treasure hunt. We believe in leveraging shareholder capital to generate projects and partnering with mining giants such as Kinross, Ballet, Inmet, and Tech to fund our exploration in the mining-friendly states of Alaska and Arizona. By utilizing this business model, Millrock Resources increases the potential of finding economic gold and copper deposits and maximizing shareholder wealth. For more information, please visit us at www.MillRockResources.com or find us on the TSX Venture under MRO. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
2: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, with some closing thoughts on today's show. I, well, I really did enjoy talking to James Otto. Uh, I thought it was really interesting. One of the things that struck me was the uh, the refusal of the Labor Department to enforce labor laws. Clearly, uh, the politicians are up for sale in our country. There's no doubt about that. I think anybody that thinks seriously about it realizes that's what's going on. The same Labor Department that, of course, enforced labor laws against the corporations at one point in time in the past in our history are now being bought out by corporations, corporate interests that know no boundaries, multinational corporations that have no allegiance to the United States of America, but really are only seeking to gain profits for their shareholders. And I have nothing against profits, nothing at all. I believe in free enterprise, free markets, but these are not free markets. These are markets in which laws are passed obstructing freedom and freedom of, of capital and labor uh, by by government payoffs, by uh, corporatism, if you will. I, I think it's really the definition of fascism. I think what we have is economic fascism in America. It's getting bigger and bigger as time goes on. And thankfully, as Dr. John Coleman agreed, to a great extent, it's due to the fiat currency system and the Federal Reserve and getting rid of gold which held in check the ability to reallocate wealth from those that produce it, the miners, the manufacturers, the farmers, the inventors to those who control the system, namely the bankers and the uh, corporate interests. So Dr. John Coleman then pointed out that the Labor Department probably shouldn't exist at all. In fact, it is unconstitutional unconstitutional, as many of our uh, departments in the government are unconstitutional. There's no right for the government to take money and finance uh, these departments according to the Constitution. Well, only Congressman Ron Paul uh, on the national scene would agree with that. And as uh, Dr. Coleman expressed, the hope that there would be someone else to pick up the torch, perhaps Ron's son, other people. There is a young congressman from uh, from Michigan. I'm hoping to get on the show sometime in the near future that has been described as the a clone of Ron Paul in the sense, at least uh, intellectually and in his view, of the uh, of the constitution. Well, uh Chen Lin and other people there are always people that find ways to make money in any kind of market and that's part of what we want to do. We want to on this show to help us understand what is going on so we can uh so we can uh, read the tea leaves and and uh plan our lives accordingly. Chen Lin and his Happy Chickens are one way. We're going to talk next week to Paul van Eden and Adrian Day. Those two gentlemen should have some good insights also in how we can make money and how we can survive in this, uh, in this market. In closing, I want to thank the staff at Voice America, uh, Tacey Trump, my executive producer, and Justin Jackman, my engineer, for making this show uh, viable uh, logistically. Thanks to each of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you.
1: Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times Into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.